You're listening to a sermon preached at First Baptist Church in Farwell, Texas. We are committed to loving God, loving people, and going into the world to share the gospel. We pray you find this message both challenging and encouraging. I want to invite you to grab your Bible. I hope you have it there with you. And turn to the book of Job. Turn to the book of Job. If you're not exactly sure where that is at, find the book of Psalms right in the, in the middle of your Bible. If you have a Bible that contains Old Testament, New Testament, Psalms will be right in the center. Job is just to the left. It's one book before the book of Psalms. And turn with me to Job chapter 1. Job chapter 1. This is a very familiar story for many of us who have been Christians for a long time. And I hope this morning you will hear this message afresh and anew. That you would hear this message through the lens of what we are going through as a culture, as the entire world. I pray that you would hear it, that you would read it anew. The truth is truth. The truth has not changed. But our perspective has changed. And so I want to invite you to Job chapter 1. I've entitled the message this morning, A Biblical Theology of Suffering Allows Us to Have a Biblical Theology of Worship. Let me say that again. This is the title of the message. A Biblical Theology of Suffering Allows Us to Have a Biblical Theology of Worship. And I believe that we need both. What do I mean by that? A biblical theology of suffering. We need to look at suffering through the lens of Scripture. But we also need to look at worship. And we need to worship through the lens of Scripture. So a biblical theology of suffering allows us to have a biblical theology of of worship, and we see that in the life of Job, that I want us, I want myself to imitate. I, I, I long, I, I, gro- I, I groan, inside my body groans to, to have the, uh, the, the biblical theology of worship as Job does. And I want us as, as a church family, I, I, this is one of those messages, this is actually one of those texts that I wish that I was sitting across the table from you. Uh, enjoying a nice, hot cup of black coffee. And us just getting to have a conversation and just wrestling with this text. Biblical theology of suffering allows us to have a biblical theology of worship. The book of Job wrestles with a, um, what some would say a difficult problem. It, 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 it is, it, the problem would be the presence of suffering in a world where God rules. There are many today through what we are going through that could say, if God is a good God, how in the world could He allow us to be experiencing what we are experiencing today? There are many who would ask, that question, and, and, and I understand anyone asking that question, but here's what I want you to know. God rules. God is not absent. God is not on His throne, or He's not stepped up off of His throne, wringing His hands, trying to figure out how He is going to end this coronavirus. 
But many people can be distracted by this and say, say that, that, that how, how can God rule when there is suffering if God is a good God? And I would point you to Job chapters 38 through 42. We don't have time to unpack all of that this morning. I want to stay in Job chapter 1. And many people will say that the book of Job answers the age-old question, why does a loving and righteous God permit the godly to suffer? Why does a loving and a righteous God permit the godly to suffer? Some would say that's the theme of the book of Job, but if that's the theme of the book of Job, uh, that, that question is never answered. So uh, my, my goal this morning is not to answer why the godly suffer because we don't see that in Job. We don't see that anywhere in Scripture. I believe the theme, the book of Job, and especially this first chapter, is not the why, but how the righteous suffer and can continue to worship. That, that's what we want to learn. That's where we want to grow. How can the righteous, how can children of God, how can those who are right with God, they have been covered by the blood of Jesus Christ, how can we suffer and continue to worship? Job, the opening verses tell us that Job was a man of complete Integrity. That doesn't mean that he wasn't a sinless man. Job had the, the blood of Adam running through his veins. Job was a man just like you and I. He had a sinful nature. But Scripture says that Job was a man of complete integrity. He feared God and he turned away from evil. That is how God describes our brother Job. Job was a entrepreneur. He had multiple streams of income. He, he wasn't just a, a one talent type of fella. This Job was a man who had multiple avenues, multiple businesses going on. He had his, he had his main job and then he had his side hustles, many of them. He was a successful business Man, he was a man of great wealth. He had hundreds of employees. If we were thinking of Job today, Job would be the kind of guy that lives here in our community who, who employs a bunch of people, who, who provides for a bunch of families, and who is a community-minded brother in Christ. That would be Job. That's how we would think of Job today. That's why Scripture describes him. Job is a father of ten children, seven boys, and three girls. He is a faithful husband, and he is a loving father. All of that is laid out in the first couple of verses of Job chapter 1. James chapter 5, verse 11. James, the brother of Jesus, is remembering Job. And listen, several thousand years later, people are still, are still remembering Job, who we're going to be studying about today. Listen to what the brother of Jesus says in James chapter 5, verse 11. Just write this down in, on your notepad somewhere. See, we count as blessed those who have endured. That word endured means to abide 
under the load. James is remembering Job. And he says, you have heard of Job's endurance. He, he is pointing back several thousand years and he says, brothers and sisters, as, he is in, as he's encouraging these Christians, he says, you have heard of the endurance, the ability of Job to abide underneath the pressure, to abide in Christ, to abide in his love and his faithfulness to God. That's what Job, James is saying about Job. Listen, don't, don't, don't let this, don't let this, don't, don't miss what James is saying here. James doesn't say, do you, do you remember, do you remember our, our old brother Job, who was a man of great wealth? He had, he had multiple streams of income. Do you, do you remember what happened to Job's life? No, no, no. Listen, here's how people remember Job. By his endurance. Not by his, his success. Not even by his failures. Not by his children. Not by his great wealth. But by his endurance. His ability to abide in Christ under the load. We're going to look at that load here in just a moment. John chapter 15, verse 5 says this, I am the vine, Jesus is speaking. You are the branches, the one who remains. Literally, the one who abides in me and I in, in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing with me. Oh, that is my heart. I want, to be, I want it to be sad of me. Do you remember Brother Ross is the one who, who abided in Christ, who endured? And I want that sad of you. I think that's what we all want to be remembered by is the one who endured, the one who uh, remained in Christ. December 7, 1941. Pearl Harbor. Remember that day, many of you? November 22nd. 1963, Dallas, Texas, President of the United States, J.F. Kennedy, was shot and killed. September 11, 2001, four airplanes were hijacked and used as missiles to attack our country. Two of those airplanes hit the World Trade Centers in New York. One airplane hit the Pentagon. And the fourth crashed in Somerset, Pennsylvania. We know the story of Todd Beamer. Let's roll. We know this heroic story of this one man who, who woke up on September 11th, 2001 and was not planning on being a hero who had, who had no idea of what was going to take place. But that day will ever be etched in our mind. March 2020. Your senior year ended abruptly. 
professional and in college sports suspend their seasons. You lost your job. Every school-age parent and school-age child is now a homeschooler. Many people are working for home, from home. And with that, uh, allow me to remind you of your vows, for better or worse. This is why this is hard, because I needed to hear you laugh right there. We, we, we need to be reminded of that as, as, as families are, are nestled inside their home and husbands and wives are, are, are trying to teach their kids and, and trying to do their, their careers. And, and, and I just want to remind you the promise that you made before God, for better or worse, till death do us part. We are currently living through a moment where the chisel and hammer are actively etching this tragedy in the crevices of our mind. The dates that I just, I just ran through, uh, Pearl Harbor, uh, uh, the, the, assassination, the assassination of the President of the United States, September 11th, 2001. All of those, we know where we were at. We can, we can remember, if you were alive, you can remember where you were at when those moments took place. And if God allows us to live many more years from today, we will remember these moments. And in these moments, it is moments like what we are in at this very moment that Satan wants nothing more for us to ignore God. He wants nothing more for us to curse God. He wants nothing more for us than to reject God. To throw in the towel of our faith because this seems unfair. We didn't do anything to deserve this. And Satan wants us to be too busy to even think of God. To be so removed from our regular schedules that we just go on vacation with God or without God. Satan wants, in moments like this, always, but especially in moments like this, for us to curse God, to reject Him. Leading up in our text, Satan is accusing God of favoritism. There's this meeting in heaven that we are privy to, which can create all kinds of questions that aren't answered in Scripture. And if it's silent in Scripture, I believe that we should be silent. But there's this meeting in heaven that we are privy to, and, 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 and Satan is saying to God, you, you favor Job. And listen, Job will never know 
what is going on in heaven at this moment. Just as we, don't, we have no idea what God is doing in heaven at this very moment. But we do know this, he is completely in control. And Satan is accusing God of favoritism. He's like, you have put a hedge of protection around your servant, Job. You have guarded his body from sickness and disease. You have protected his possessions from destruction. You have put up this divine wall of protection around Job. Who wouldn't worship you with that type of protection? Then God says, fine. You can do whatever you want. Just don't touch him. Look at what happens. Let's look at the text. Job chapter 1, verse 12. Let's back up to verse 11. Satan says this to God. But stretch out your hand and strike everything he owns and he will surely curse you to your face. That's what Satan believes. That if God would remove this divine protection from Job, Job would certainly curse God. Job would certainly reject God. Look at what happens in verse 12. Very well, the Lord told Satan, everything he owns is in your power. However, do not lay a hand on Job himself. So Satan left the Lord's presence. One day, when Job's sons and daughters were eating and drinking, which was something that they would would do from time to time, the opening verses tell us that that Job's sons would would have this great get-together and they would invite their sisters to come over. And this is is the the scene. And, And while they were doing this, Job, being a faithful man of God, a loving father, would fall to his knees and pray on behalf of his children. So here's the scene. Job is on his knees praying to God on behalf of his children, not knowing what is about to take place, not knowing the situation that has gone on in heaven. One day when Job's sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and reported, While the oxen were plowing and the donkeys grazing nearby, this this would have been Job's livestock. This would have been one of Job's streams of income. While the oxen were plowing and the donkeys grazing, the Sabaeans, Sabaeans swooped down and took them away. They struck down the servants with the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you, as Job is standing there at the door of his house, he is, he is awoken from his time of prayer, a messenger comes and says, your livestock, your servants who are watching over your livestock, they, they have been taken, they have been destroyed, and I alone. And as this messenger is giving this horrible news to Job, he, he can see right over the shoulder of this messenger, another, another messenger coming to his house. Look at what he says. 
as the first messenger is still speaking. When another messenger came and reported, God's fire fell from heaven. It burned the sheep and the servants and devoured them. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Another stream of Job's income wiped out immediately. And as that messenger, now there are two messengers who are giving horrendous news to Job as they are standing at the door of Job's house. As the second messenger is still speaking, look at verse 17. That messenger was still speaking when yet another came and reported that Chaldeans formed three bands, made a raid on the camels and took them away. They struck down the servants with the sword and I alone have escaped to tell you a third stream of Job's income is wiped out. Bad news after bad news after bad news. And as that messenger is still speaking, there's three messengers at the door of Job's house. Job by now has to be, has to be on his knees reeling and his wife seated in the corner wondering what is going on in their world. What is happening in their world? And I think for just a moment, Job is listening to the news. And deep into his heart, he is saying, all of that can be replaced. But I still have my family. Still have my seven sons. Still have my three daughters. Still have my wife. But if that's what Job was thinking, that thought was erased immediately. As that third messenger came, listen to verse 18. As he was still speaking, yet another messenger came and reported, your sons and your daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. Suddenly a powerful wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on the young people and they all died. And I alone have escaped to tell you. All of Job's sources of income wiped out. All of Job's ten children are wiped out. I don't know if you've seen the movie Saving Private Ryan. There is a gripping scene in that movie. As Miss Ryan standing in the kitchen, looking out her window, washing dishes, and a military vehicle begins up the driveway, begins to come up the driveway. Green, drab, military vehicle. The next scene shifts to the front door. As two military officers begin to tell her, horrible news not one not two but three of her four boys have been killed rest of the movie is about saving private Ryan it is a gripping 
seen. But in that scene, there is some explanation of why. It's war. We know this happens at war. It doesn't seem fair that, that not one, not two, but three of her children are gone. But there is some, there's some explanation. I don't know about you, but it seems like when, when we're going through a struggle that, that we want to find the why. And when we find the why, we believe that it will make it easier. Listen, I believe that is a lie from Satan. That if we could just figure out the why, it'll make it easier. I don't think it does. I think it just creates more questions. But in Job's case, oh, we know. We know the why. We know that Satan wants nothing more for Job to curse God. What we don't know until we read the text is what Job's response is going to be. Look at verse 20. Look at the response. Then. We don't know how long of a time this then is. But then, there are five verbs in verse 20. I want you to mark these. Don't miss the action of Job after he hears this horrendous news. Then, Job stood. He he, his knees had buckled. He had fallen to the ground with, with, <coughs> with each messenger. The news got worse. Job is on the ground. He is, he is at the feet of all four of these messengers, weeping over the news that he has just heard. But notice what it says. Then Job stood. Second verb is he tore his robe. Don't miss this. Job grieved. Sometimes I think as Christians we, feel, we, we might feel guilty over, over grieving over something that we lost or we would lost that we might feel guilty over, over, over feeling bad about something going on. No, listen. Job grieved. Just this, this imagery of, uh, of tearing his robe was a way that, that in, in the Middle East they would, they would express their grief, their deep grief. He stood up, he tore his robe, and he shaved. It's the third verb. He, he shaved his head. He's grieving. And he wants to remove any honor whatsoever that he might have. He's, he's taking all of the focus off of him. He is tearing his robe. He is shaving his head to express the deep grief and sorrow that he has. Notice the third, the fourth verb. 
He fell. He, he literally, he, he lies prostrate on the ground. This is, this is flat out, horizontal, touching the ground. All parts of your body touching the ground. It's palms down, prostrate. But notice the fifth verb, and he worshipped. It is the Hebrew word shakah. He worshipped. This, this isn't, a, this isn't a, a joyful, bouncing around worship. He, he is on the ground, face down, nose in the dirt, palms to the ground, and he is worshipping God. Satan is wondering what's going to come out of his mouth. Is it going to be a rejection of God? Is it going to be a a curse of God? Surely, with the loss of all of his income, with the law and his ability to even have an income, with the loss of all of his children, surely he is going to curse God. But notice, notice. The words of his worship. We've looked at the posture of his worship, but now notice the words of his worship. Look at verse 21. Look at what he says. Naked I came from my mother's womb. From my birth I had absolutely nothing. And naked I will leave this life. I will leave this life with absolutely nothing. Job is saying, as, as, a, as this cute little baby that was born, I, my, my hands were, 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 were gripping, but I had absolutely nothing. But when I leave this world, my hands will be loosed and I will take nothing with me. Probably heard this said, but there is... There's, you'll never see a hearse pulling a U-Haul. We take nothing with us. Job is worshiping God. And he is saying to God, I brought nothing into this world. I take nothing out of this world and everything in between my birth and between my death everything I have is on loan from God that's what he's saying in this statement is he is worshiping God naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will leave this life notice what he says the Lord gives and the Lord takes away Blessed be the name of the Lord. God, you have the right to give, and you give. But God, you also have the right to take away. Either way, God, blessed be your name. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job shows us a right 
an accurate theology of suffering. And in turn, it allows him to have an accurate theology of worship. And it's something that we need. And listen, until we get an accurate and biblical theology of suffering, we will never have an accurate and biblical theology of worship. Suffering in this world will either draw you to worship God or it will repel you from worshiping God. And the latter of those two is exactly what Satan wants. Satan wants suffering in this world to push us from God. He wants pressure in this world to push us from God. This is what we see in Job chapter 1, verse 11. Job is, Job is saying, oh God, you stretch out your hand and you strike everything you own, this, that Job owns, he'll surely curse you in, to your face. Listen, worshiping God is not something that we do for a quick pick-me-up. It's, worshiping God is not, not something we do for an for a, a, a energy shot of, of spiritual energy. Now listen, all, worshiping God will draw us to Christ, but, but that is not the purpose of worship. Worshiping God is not about me at all. God is the object of our worship. I love this quote by Charles Stanley. Listen to what he says. God doesn't exist to make you healthy and happy. He exists to glorify His name. And watch this. And you are the channel through which His glory comes. Church, that's us. We are the channel, especially, always, always, but especially in days like this, we are the channel that glory of God comes and may we be an open channel. Worshiping. Worshiping God. Oh, listen, God has the right to give. God has the right to take away. Either way, I want to worship Him. I want it to be said of me. I want it to be said of you. That that was a man, that was a woman, that was a teenager who endured who continued to abide in Christ no matter what storms came his way, no matter what, what troubles came her way. He remained in Christ. Listen, as long as I feel, as long as you feel things are unfair in our life, or there are unresolved trials in our life, and as long as it feels like God is, is far away, as long as it feels like God is silent, Listen, I won't want to worship Him with my obedience. This is why this is so key. I, I, as long as I feel like it's unfair, it's, I, I won't want to, it will not come out of an overflow of my love for God. I won't want to worship Him with my obedience. I won't want to worship Him with my offerings. It won't come natural for me to worship Him through prayer and through worship and through, through the study of His Word. I won't want to do it. Lord, you give. And, Lord, you have the right to take away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I want to close with giving you two principles, two takeaways 
for us to remember and grow in if we're going to have a correct theology of suffering, which allows us to have a correct theology of worship. You ready? Number one is this. First is this. Since this is not our home, we will experience trials. Since this is not our home, trials will come and go. This last, this last year, the last summer, I had the opportunity of going to India. Listen, India is not my home. And there were some trials that I experienced there that every day we take advantage of here in the United States, but there it was trials. But I didn't wring my hands. I wasn't, I wasn't worried because I knew I had a plane ticket going home. I knew that the trials that I was going to face over the next several days, actually I even prepared for those trials. I knew that there was a possibility there was going to be some food there. There was a great possibility there would be food there that I would not like. So I went prepared. Literally, I had two large bricks of peanut butter crackers. That just in case something was placed in front of me that was still moving, I had something I could eat. Listen, I knew that that was not my home. But I knew that God had sent me there for a temporary season. And whatever troubles came my way, whatever inconveniences came my way, I was willing to walk through those inconveniences, prepare for them, and continue to worship God. Brothers and sisters in Christ, this world is not our home. This world's not our home. Think about it this way. This world, if you are a believer in Christ, this world is our hell. This is as bad as it gets for us. It's not going to get any worse. This is our hell. Heaven is coming. Eternity with God is coming. Troubles are going to happen in hell. But listen, if you're not a believer in Christ, if you're watching this this morning, if you're listening to this this morning and you're not a believer, you've never accepted Jesus Christ, hear me. This world is your heaven. This is as good as it gets. Hell is coming. Give your life to Christ today. Give your life. To, surrender your life to Christ today. Tell Jesus that you love Him. Repent from your sins. Give Jesus Christ your life. Ask Him to come into your life. And He will. This is not our home. Job later admits, in Job chapter 5, verse 7, he says, Mankind is born for trouble as surely as sparks fly upwards. Listen, Job, although he was reeling from the grief, although that he, he, he cried out to God, he continued to worship God, but he was not surprised that troubles came. Listen, we have an adversary, and our adversary is on the loose, and he wants to do anything he can to destroy you. Don't be surprised. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12, listen to what God tells us through the voice of Peter, dear friends, when the fiery ordeals arise among you to test you, don't be surprised by it as if something unusual were happening to you. 
Listen, don't think trials are strange. When this is not our home, trials will be the rule, not the exception. The second principle I want you to write down, I want you to remember is this. Since our God is sovereign, meaning He has supreme authority, supreme power, complete control. Since our God is sovereign, we must prepare ourselves for both blessings and adversity. And many times, not even know the why. In Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 through 9, listen to what the prophet Isaiah says to us. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, speaking on behalf of God. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, and your ways are not my ways. This is the Lord's declaration. For as heaven is higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than yours, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Here's the advice. Don't be disillusioned. Because our God is sovereign, we must prepare ourselves for blessing and adversity. I've quoted this quote from C.H. Spurgeon several times, but I believe it is worth hearing again. Listen to what Spurgeon says to us. God is too good to be unkind. He is too wise to be mistaken. And when we cannot trace His hand, we must trust His heart. Let me say that again. God is too good to be unkind. He's too wise to be mistaken. When we cannot trace His hand, we must trust His heart. Let me ask you, in this season that we have gone through, that we are in, have you found it difficult to worship God? Have you found it a struggle as you watch the news, as you read the reports of thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people coming down with this horrendous virus. Oh, may we be like Job, who didn't ignore it, who grieved, who wept, but yet in his grief, he worshiped. And he says to God, You give and you take away. Blessed be your name, God. Thank you for listening to this sermon. If you'd like more information about our church or have any questions regarding the sermon you just heard, we would love to hear from you. You can visit our website at www.fbcfarwell.org or send an email to info at fbcfarwell.org. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter by searching FBC Farwell. It is our prayer that the sermon you listened to was equally challenging and edifying to your walk with Christ. Thank you again for listening and have a blessed week.